You know, it's been, as Ryan mentioned, it's been a privilege to be a member of the board for the last couple of years, and, and it's been a great joy to see my daughter Kyla grow in her walk with God as a result of the ministry of the faculty, the staff, the students of this school. And when Tasha first contacted me about speaking in chapel, I just kind of figured, well, I'll just, you know, rework one of my church messages and kind of rework that for you guys and share that with you. And the other day I started reading through some of them, them over and I had kind of a couple in my mind that I thought, oh yeah, this would be a great one to share. And I was really struggling. Should I share this? You know, I had written this message for my church family. It was uniquely kind of focused on them. And, and, and you know, is, 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 it, is it the right thing for me to do? And in her reminder email, Tasha mentioned sharing something about what God had been teaching me. And so that's kind of what I settled on this morning. This isn't a typical sermon of mine, but, but hopefully you guys are encouraged. Especially regarding the character of God, and especially regarding the transformational power of the gospel. Let me share a little bit about myself to get started. I was born and raised in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. So yes, I'm a Canuck. I'm a Canadian. I mean, American now, but you know, there's one, one clap there. Thanks, Scott. Um, was blessed with a wonderful Christian family of Mennonite background, which resulted in an interesting theological odyssey for me, which I'm not going to get into. Um, came to Christ at a young age. Has always been involved in church and church ministry. After high school, I attended Briarcrest Bible College in Saskatchewan. Graduated with, oh, there's another clap. There we go. Figured, well, I don't know if Jessica was here or not. She's not here, so I know she's a, she's a Briarcrest person too. Graduated with a degree in theology, and most importantly, met my wife of now almost 25 years. And uh, students, please remember that. You know, I realize you're into the academics, and you love the stuff, and you're pursuing that stuff, and all those wonderful little nuances of theology are fascinating. But um, no matter what degree you pursue and attain, the most important, having a godly spouse is way more important than that. I'll tell you that, all right? You don't have to find them here. Don't have to find them at Bridal College. I get that. But, but, you know, they might. It's a good place to look. You know, we have three great kids. As, as many of you guys know, Kyla, our oldest. Um, some of you, like I said, will meet Jared next year. He's going to be a freshman next year. Taryn's our youngest, and she's a high school freshman. And over the past 24 years, I've had the privilege of serving as a pastor in three, I guess you would call it town and country churches in Drummond, Montana. Um, Butterfield, Minnesota, and then now for the past 11 years in Lolo, Montana, Lolo Community Church. And I have to say for the last 24 years of full-time ministry, that's been an amazing ride. And uh, God has been good, and God has been gracious, and I, and I feel blessed by the experiences that I've, I've had. But I also want to say this, and this is kind of the point of what I want to share this morning. 2014 was the hardest year of ministry I have ever endured. And for the first time since I became a pastor, I actually had times where I wanted to be anything but a pastor. The story how I got there and the story of how I got back is one I want to share with you this morning. It started innocently enough in January, last January, 2014, on a Sunday afternoon. I can still picture it. A man from our church called me up to tell me about a conflict he was in with a woman who was also from our church. By the time I heard about it, the thing had been going on with varying degrees of intensity for two years. It had ramped up in the past six months. It had drawn in both spouses, was getting uglier by the minute, attitudes were hardening, tempers were flying. 
uh, flaring, I should say, hurtful words had been said. Uh, ministry was being affected, and he felt it was time for me to know. I had the, you know, kind of like that was six months ago, two years ago it was time for me to know, but please don't. If you ever find yourself in that situation, don't, don't wait six months, don't wait a year, two years to get some help. So anyways, that 45-minute conversation on Sunday afternoon began an odyssey that unfortunately is still not over. I met with both sides, heard their stories, reread their, read their emails to one another, sought to, to bring to peacemake in this conflict. And, and there were meetings that went on for hours and hours, rancorous, angry meetings. There were ultimatums made and broken. There was confession given and refused. There was forgiveness offered and not accepted. There were emails attacking each other. And later on, as I got into it, attacking me for trying to mediate. The conflict became the last thing I thought of when I went to bed, and it was the first thing that came to mind when, I, my, when my alarm went off in the morning. And as a shepherd, it was extremely painful to see families in my flock hurting each other and hurting themselves. And it was painful to see them struggling with the plain truth of Scripture regarding confession, bearing with one another, forgiveness, reconciliation, what God had done for them in forgiving them and reconciling them and then having them struggle to apply that to their relationships. It was painful to be the brunt of their anger when I stood in the way of what they thought should happen. And part of what made it so painful was from January, October... I took this all on myself. Some of you guys are in, heading for pastoral ministry, and I want to say that, this. If a pastor is not careful, he can set himself up to convince himself he really is a junior Messiah. He can convince that he, be convinced that he can solve all the problems. And that was me, to my shame. And it was only when I confessed my pain and my hurt to my wonderful elder board that they recognized for the first time. They knew this problem was going on. They'd been praying, but, but I hadn't shared all the depths of it. They recognized the toll it was taking on me, and they came to support me and help me, and they continue to do that, and I am so blessed by that. But at my lowest, I got to the point where that as soon as I saw an email from my inbox from one of the parties involved, my stomach turned my acid, my heart was filled with dread, was this another attack? Was this more hurtful words? Was this another slanderous thing? And sometimes it was. And after opening one of those emails at the end of one particular day, I remember going home, I remember walking into the house, I remember going straight to the newspaper, opening it up to the job ads, and sitting there thinking, I'm done. I, I love my church, but I'm done. It's not about, it wasn't about Lola Community Church, it was about ministry. I am done. Anything, anything is better than this. Now, I'm happy to say months later that I am healing from all that pain, and my wife has been a wonderful support for my situ this situation. My elder board, like I said, they've been a great support. But I have to say, in spite of the amazing people that God has surrounded me with, the real healing has come from the Lord. And when I sat there on my living room floor, pouring over job listings, my mind was dwelling where? On my problems, on my pain, on the hurts, the things that have been said to me. And they weren't, it wasn't dwelling on God, and it wasn't dwelling on His gospel truth. But that's where the healing, and that's where the encouragement comes from. It comes from reminding ourselves who God is and who we are. You see, when we're overwhelmed, when we're in pain, we often forget who God is. 
We forget, for example, that he is sovereign. And that there is nothing that happens apart from what he ordains. And, and in kind of this you know, kind of brain-twisting type of way, we have to recognize he even is able to take conflict and use it for his glorious purposes. See, God is always purposeful. Things in life, even painful things, are never random. Those things that were said to me, that were unfair, that were untrue, that were hurtful, God allowed those things. He did. And sometimes we're tempted to think, well, you know, that's just that person, and they're living in sin, and God doesn't have any control over what they're saying. That's not true. Things are never random. I mean, I don't know if you guys do this, but sometimes we're tempted to think this way. I mean, have you ever asked yourself, you know, something bad happens, why does it always happen to me? Right? One look at the story of Joseph, or even the death of Jesus. It's a powerful reminder that God is able to take painful, ugly, horrible situations and use them for his glorious, redemptive purposes. Our purposeful God is is also a change agent. His purpose is often related to our growth, our maturity, our dependence on Him. The painful situation I was in drove me to a deeper trust in God. That's what God wanted. At times, that's, that's all I could do. I mean, I had no words, I had no wisdom. Even at times, I had no emotional energy for this thing. But God was always at work, continuing the work He promised to complete in me, conforming me continually to the image of His Son, transforming me from one degree of glory to another into someone who more reflects God's glory each and every day. That's what was happening. And I'm thankful for it. God is also loving. God's loving care escapes us when all we see is pain. His invitation is clear. What is 1 Peter 5, 7 says? Cast all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. There's nothing I can do, nothing I can say to cause God to love me more than He already does. He loved me so much, He took me, His enemy, a stranger, an object of His wrath, and demonstrated His love for me, sending Jesus to die for my sins. Together with God's love comes His grace. I'll admit, I I made mistakes dealing with this conflict situation in the church. And one of my biggest mistakes was having trying to manage it myself. And and I've confessed those mistakes to the people involved, to my elder board, all of that. Yet in the face of all of that, in the face of maybe our self-importance or our stubbornness or our cluelessness, what does God offer us? He offers us grace and mercy, doesn't He? Again, his invitation is clear. Jesus Christ, our great high priest, has passed through the heavens because he has been tempted as we have been. As a result, let us, Hebrews 4 says, draw near to the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need. That promise should never get old to us. One more attribute of God that was dear to me in this situation, the fact that God is trustworthy. Jerry Bridges, in his wonderful book, Trust in God, if you guys don't have that one on your bookshelf, you should, asks the same question in two ways, right at the beginning of the book. He says, can I trust God? In other words, is God trustworthy? And the Bible shows us He is, but, but then he asks the same question in a different way. Can I trust God? 
In other words, can I place all the weight of my life, all the burdens that I bear, all the pain, can I place that on God? Can I trust God with it? Can I trust that God is sovereign and purposeful in all of that? Over and over again, He has showed me that is exactly what I need to do. So healing came, first of all, when I remembered who God was. It also comes, second, when we remember who we are. How does the gospel of grace describe believers? According to the gospel, what is my identity? In the midst of a painful situation, sometimes the only identity I could see was related to failure. So who are we? We need to remember that. We are deemed, first of all. I love the song that we sang. We are men and women who have been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has transferred us from the, to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we will have what? We have redemption, Colossians 1 says. The forgiveness of sins. So together with our redemption comes forgiveness. We are forgiven. Forgiven is this wonderful, forgiveness is a wonderful grift of God. The ability to lay our failures, lay our stubbornness, lay our rebellion before Him to confess them and to be assured that God is faithful and just and will forgive us those things. Why? Because it's been paid. The atonement's been made. The other day I had to do some counseling with a, a young man that's on, kind of on the fringes of a congregation. He and his wife attend infrequently, and over the years we've had the opportunity to reach out to them in love. And, and he sat in my office last Friday night, and he spilled an ugly tale of pornography addiction and a failing marriage and an angry spouse, understandably so. And he finished dumping it all out there. And I looked at him and I asked him where he stood with Jesus. And he assured me, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus died for my sins. And I explored that a little bit and it seemed like at least he had an intellectual grasp of that. Probing a little further, I asked him, I said, if he died tonight, where'd you go? It's not usually a question I ask a Christian, but I did. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, straight to hell. And I spent the rest of our time and, and, and the times we're going to have in the future, I'm going to try to spend the rest of our time trying to help them see that faith in Jesus Christ brings forgiveness. It brings redemption. It brings grace. It brings transformation. It brings the power really to change and, 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 and defeat this addiction that he has. And it doesn't bring condemnation. We can never forget that our lives are one giant spiritual battle. We can never forget that at our weakest, at our most guilty, at our most burdened, at our most pained, that the adversary of the devil would love for us to forget about the redemption found in Jesus Christ. He would love for us to forget about forgiveness. He would rather have us live there in this prison of guilt and failure, convinced that God could never love me, or never save me, or never forgive me. So we're redeemed. We're forgiven. We're also reconciled. Ephesians 2 is pretty blunt in its description of who we are before Christ. Dead in our trespasses and sins. Following the prince of this world, living in the passions of our flesh, by nature children of wrath, separated from Christ, having alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, stranger to the covenant of the promise, having no hope without God in this world. What an ugly picture. But you know what? Together with these disturbing, ugly truths are also amazing truths in Ephesians 2, right? God has taken us, enemies that we were, and in His grace, through Christ, saved us, reconciling us to Him. 
And in Christ, we are at peace with God. We are no longer strangers. We are no longer aliens. We are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Amen? So we're reconciled. We're also adopted. As members of the household of God, we are adopted into His eternal family. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are members of the children of the covenant and of the promise. We belong in a way like you have never, we have never belonged before. And I would say this, and I know you'll all love your families, I hope, but you belong in a way that's more powerful than belonging to your blood family. That's what Jesus has done. God has made us His own. So who are we? We are redeemed, we are forgiven, we're reconciled, we're adopted, we're renewed. In Christ, the old is gone, the new has come, the bondage we once had to sin is gone, we are no longer slaves, we are no longer under the dominion of death, the sentence of condemnation upon us as sinners has been removed, the debt has been paid by the cross, as a new person with new resurrection life, we are free and able now to live for God. Now there's a lot more I could say, but I think you guys understand. You know, and I don't know, I, 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 I would say this. I know some of you guys are going to be in full-time ministry. Some of you guys are going to be, I know the goal of Montana Bible College is train church leaders, right? So hopefully that's the role every one of you guys is going to be in. Whether it's Sunday school teacher, small group leader, youth minister, pastor, missionary, whatever it is. And I guarantee you, you will have times where the pain of ministry is seemingly what beyond what you can bear. All right? And in those times, when you're sitting there, and I'm not trying to scare you off, I'm just giving you the reality, when you are sitting there overwhelmed by pain, burdened by your failure, stuck in your guilt, please don't forget these things. Please don't forget who God is and who you are. In the midst of those things, we see our problems, we see our pain, we see our frustration, we see our guilt, and we don't always see what God has done for us in Christ. God never promises us a life free from pain and trial, but He does promise in the riches of His grace as we live in our identity in Christ to strengthen us and carry us through those circumstances and those situations. And so if you're not doing this already, let me challenge you with something. Because I have to challenge myself with this all the time. We should be spending time every day dwelling on who God is and how His character is revealed in our life and circumstances. And we should also be preaching the gospel to ourselves every day, reminding ourselves of the wonderful good news that, that, that tells us who we are in God's sight. Now, I wish I could say that the conflict situation that I dealt with is, is totally resolved. It's not. One family is healing in the grace of God. It's been wonderful to see, but the other family is still struggling with bitterness and anger. And so the difficult shepherding and peacemaking isn't done yet. But I know that God is sovereign. God is purposeful even in the conflict. I know who I am as a redeemed child of God, having had moments where, frankly, I lost sight of that. And my deepest desire is to never lose sight of that again. I want to close with just, just reading these verses from Psalm 119. These were in my devotions the other day. 
And, and they were a wonderful reminder to me that God is continually teaching us. God is continually reminding us. God is continually showing his faithfulness in speaking to us through his word. He continues to strengthen us. He continues to build me up. He continues to remind me of his purpose. He continues to remind me of the reasons why, why he did it and, and what he is doing in me now. He is faithful in providing words of hope and healing. And these are from Psalm 119, verses 25 to 32. It says, My soul clings to the dust. I can relate to that. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts. Tell me what's going on. Why are you doing it? What, what, what's going on here? What is your purpose, Lord? And I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away in sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me. False ways of thinking. False ways of acting. False ways of, of seeing my life and my circumstances. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, enlarge our hearts so that we can run in the way of your commandments, that we can see what you are doing, that we can reflect, truly reflect on your character. Open the eyes of our hearts so we can see at least in some small way, your purpose, your plan, and be assured that you are trustworthy, you are sovereign, and that in Christ, you have redeemed us and made us your own. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.